Frontier War Stories, episode 17, Jimmy Kyle. Just a disclaimer before we go any further. Frontier War Stories talks about massacres and uh, Aboriginal people who have passed away. Sometimes you may mention names, but we will definitely be mentioning uh, massacre sites. We'll be talking about locations and people involved in those massacres. Uh, And in those uh, massacres are men, women, children and old people. So uh, just a disclaimer before we go on, on any further. Welcome to Frontier War Stories. Before I go on any further, I would like to pay my respects to the country on which I make this podcast and where my guests are from and also the listeners. And I would also like to pay my respects to Aboriginal people who fought in the Frontier Wars, which began as early as 1788 and lasted till the 1930s. That's roughly 140 years Aboriginal people continued to fight. And I would also like uh, to, res- uh, to pay my respects to all Aboriginal people across the continent today. Each episode, I will speak with different Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people about research, books and oral histories which document the first 140 years of resistance and conflict. These times are the frontier wars and these are our war stories. In episode 17, I yarn with Jimmy Kyle, frontman from punk rock band Chasing Ghosts. He's a quarry man from the New South Wales mid-north coast. This year, in their uh, EP that is coming out very soon, titled Homeland, he has a track titled Summer, which describes the 1856 Tow Creek Massacre, which we will be chatting about today, which we will be chatting about in the podcast. Uh, but, but without any further ado, uh, Brother Kyle, uh, thanks for joining. Uh, sorry, Brother Jimmy, thanks for joining me on Frontier War Stories. Thanks very much for having me, Bo. It's a, it's a real privilege and uh, I too would just like to acknowledge uh, the traditional owners of the land that we're all on and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And uh, in particular, uh, a big shout out to my mob back home in uh, Dungari country and, um, and, and say thank you, you know, just a, a privilege to be able to share this story and and in particular acknowledge the Scott family uh, for giving me that um, permission to share that story. Deadly. Thanks, that brother. Uh, but before we go any further, I mentioned uh, you are from the New South Wales uh, Mid-North Coast. Could you tell uh-huh. us your mob and your country, please, brother? Yeah, my family, uh, my grandmother was a woman called uh, Lilith uh, and Hudson was, She's a Kyle. She'd married into the Kyles, which are predominantly of convict ancestry, Irish and English ancestry. But um, she had connections to the Quinlan family in particular. Uh, And uh, we are Thangari. um, But it was quite uh, a hidden story in my family. It wasn't that hidden. It was pretty obvious. But um, I think they'd taken the path to assimilate and that was my family's story and it's kind of how I stumbled onto the the Tow Creek Massacre and that my family was brought back and connected to uh, mob again after sort of a a period I guess of being very discreet Um, growing up uh, Uncle George Quinlan who was uh, a pastor, uh, I think the first Seventh-day Adventist pastor, um, or the first Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist pastor, he'd come to my family and um, he'd spent a lot of time with my grandmother as a lot of the elders would. Uh, but there was just a lot of stuff I didn't really know. You know, and there was, um, it was pretty, 
it was sort of stuff that I found out more so as a teenager. I knew from a young age that I was Aboriginal. Um, I'm white passing, so it, it it was not something that people would stop me in the street and say, but there was definitely you know family members that were quite clearly identifiable as Aboriginal, um, and they obviously would come up with little yarns for why they look the way they looked and um which I've always found funny, you know, um some of those stories about not I, I you know, it's got a sad undertone to it that people were trying to survive in in a in a white world, in a colonized world and trying to be discreet and go under the radar, uh, probably for the sake of their children. But that didn't last very long. Um, Uncle George Quinlan came to my family when I was quite young and and sort of brought my family back to connecting to um, Sangari culture. And he um, started to piece together the story of how our family's connected. And the Tower Creek Massacre um, revealed a little bit more in that story, I guess. So um, it's been a process of, uh, piecing together lots of bits of information and that's been a big journey in its own right, you know. Um, and I, I'd imagine one that many Aboriginal people go on, um, you know, some Aboriginal people, we, we've all got different experiences as Aboriginal people. Some people have always known who they are and, um, and have faced heavy persecution for it. Um, and others have tried to, I guess, survive in the, in a European world and being disconnected and then have to do the long journey back. Um, yeah, my family story is probably the latter. Uh, and more I learn about my family, that's kind of how I stumbled into the Tower Creek Massacre story. Mm. Um, so just for our listeners as well, um, just a few sort of topics that I want to cover um, mm-hmm. and just so that like they know where we're going with this as well. Obviously the main one um, is the Tower Creek Massacre. Uh, that's your mm-hmm. song Summer's based off of that. Um, and at the end I do want to talk about your music and where people can get it because I think it's so important. Uh, and, I think mm-hmm. it's, and plus I think it's, it, it's, it's good music anyways. Um, and... You know, this is one of many massacres. Uh, like all of our mob, you know, um, across this continent, uh, there are many massacres that have taken place within, if you could say, our tribal boundaries. Uh, we, we all have many massacres. Um, and I really want to sort of delve into, I guess, today's context and how people visit, visualise and connect to these places but without actually knowing the significance because nowadays uh, people can, you know, we all have a connection to somewhere, I guess you could say, even is, even, even, even white followers. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess their connection is totally different to ours, which I want to get to a little bit later. But first, brother, um, uh, Tow Creek is uh, a massacre that happened uh, in 1856, um, mm-hmm. down on your country. Uh, we've spoken about this a few times. Um, and just for the listeners, like this part, you know, will be a bit confronting for some people um, because of how it happened and, um, you know, how it happened to the mob as well. And uh, so just, uh, you know, if you have a soft stomach, you know, maybe fast forward this bit or just sort of, you know, take your time going through it as well. But please, brother, could you... Uh, tell us a bit about uh, the Tower Creek Massacre. Yeah, uh, the Tower Creek Massacre was in 1856, as you mentioned, uh, which was the same year the Native Police came and were stationed at Nulla Nulla Creek. Nulla Nulla is where the that my family descends from that same area. Nulla Nulla is where uh, the Aboriginal um, community uh, and the mission is still today or, or the Aboriginal village. Uh, it's near a township called Bellbrook. It's really close. Uh, it could be seen as a segregated suburb um, in its time. And at Nulla Nulla, um, 
in that region, just coming up from Nulla, so for those to get the map in their head, New South Wales, mid-north coast, the road from Kempsey to Armadale, going up the Maclay Valley River near the township of, of Bellbrook. And that um, that area, Bellbrook, had uh, the, the district, the Maclay Valley, had a lot of massacres, uh, a, a, an estimated 20-odd major massacres. Shit. Uh, that's a lot. But, in, in a, in a yeah, sort of yeah. small concentrated area. Um, and does that sort of go over a few different mobs as well, taking... Well, there was the more I research and the more I follow up yarns from elders, it just seems to be more and more and more. But there's a few that in particularly stand out and uh, that the ones between uh, behind up towards Armadale, uh, what people um, uh, sort of, it's in that sort of big canyony area. Um, there's a term for it, I'll think of it. But the there are about three major ones that are not too far west of Bellbrook, about 10, 15 minutes. And they're all about five, 10 minutes of each other, or maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes drive at the most. And the Tow Creek Massacre, uh, Tow Creek is obviously not far from the, um, the Maclay River. It, it comes, flows into the river. Um, and in the, in that period, the fighting had been happening uh, for similar to the rest of the east coast of Australia. The timelines match up really uh, consistently uh, to show that the, the frontier wars and the resistance for a lot of mobs was occurring um, simultaneously. And the Kempsey uh, mob, the inland mob up at Bellbrook, we were seen as the wild blacks. And um, and the ones that were maintaining a resistance probably a little bit later uh, and holding on a little bit longer than perhaps some of the others that ha- had been closer to the major settlements of Sydney or Brisbane. For the obvious reasons, we were right in the middle, so it took a bit further to get to us, I guess. And the resistance held out. So uh, around this period in uh, leading up, there's sort of uh, a real uh, increase um, amount of engagement uh, in, in conflict in, in increasing, and the Tow Creek Massacre is probably um, one of the most pivotal turning points in in our in our resistance. Um, and it it was a punitive response to um, some previous uh, issues that had occurred, and two gentlemen. Was, uh, were with muzzle-loaded rifles, were loading, um, you know, you, you used to put the gunpowder down the top of your, your gun in the barrel and you'd pump it and, and pack it and then you'd put your lead bullets in top and, and then you'd fire them. And so these two blokes were uh, boiling up lead to make uh, bullets with. And an Aboriginal man called Jimmy Taylor, um, that there's a local bridge in the region named after him, uh, Jimmy Taylor had seen what these men were doing and could overhear them in their cabin or their hut talking that they were going to get square, kind of, was the, was the idea. They were going to settle a, a bit of a score uh, and they had decided that they were, they amongst with others would um, lead a, an attack, an assault on the Sangari people. So Jimmy Taylor um, then went on to uh, warn the local mob what was going to happen. And everyone who was able-bodied and, and fit enough continued, uh, they took off to uh, to avoid the conflict. And they uh, headed up further the Maclay River um, into that higher country, like heading further towards uh, the ranges as you head towards Armadale. And those who couldn't, um, they would end up fighting, they, they would end up fleeing rather uh, into the Tow Creek and hiding up in the tops of the trees. Uh, and at that time, Tow Creek uh, was pretty densely, um, pretty dense forest, you know, with matted vines. It's described at the time as having vines that were really thick in the treetops and like sort of that 
subtropical rainforesty sort of landscape and, and people were able to get up in top of the trees and hide in the matted vines. And then uh, this is the same year the native police come to our to our area and they base themselves at Nullar Creek. So they, they are at, at this point, you know, not very far away from uh, the massacre place. So the following morning, as people are hiding up in the tops of the trees, uh, a militia arrives um, and these two gentlemen, and I use the words loosely gentlemen, but these two murderers, uh, which would be far more appropriate, and their militia uh, eventually are able to track down the people that were hiding up in the tops of the trees that weren't, you know, they were either pregnant, they had children, uh, they were uh, too old. Uh, they weren't the warriors, essentially. They weren't. They weren't able to have a resistance. So those who could had fled further, and these guys were hiding. Uh, this mob, they were hiding, and uh, they were shot out of the trees. Someone made a noise, as the story goes, whether it was a cough or or some sort of noise, and 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 gave away the location of everyone, and every single person was shot, uh, bar one. And that was just through pure chance and, um, and a mother um, sheltering her child in the fall. So one mother who fell from uh, the treetops uh, out of the canopy in the matted vines, and when she hit the ground, uh, she broke the fall of her child. And they left the bodies there. They, they overlooked the child. They didn't see the child. And a white fella called Herdley Scott, who was about eight miles um, downstream in Long Gully, which is another significant place for our people, he came up on a horse. He'd heard what had happened. Uh, he could hear the gunshot. So he came up to investigate. And uh, lo and behold, following the tracks of the horses and whatnot, was able to uh, find the pile of bodies. Uh, no one, they didn't burn the bodies. They, you know, there was no fear of reprisal. This was, um, they had the native police with them. That's, I'm assuming, how they tracked them because that's the same year the native police arrived in Nulla. Um, and, and that sort of crescendo point for our resistance. Um, the Gorge Country, that's what we call it, the Gorge Country. Mm. What's um, on this attack? Uh, by them, and, and I'm not trying to sort of justify what they did. It's a horrendous thing as well. But um, is it this story, or is it another story where um, there was um, a young white girl that was playing with some of the kids, and uh, the mob decided to jump up and leave, and the young girl followed them? Right. So you're referring to um, the precursor, which yeah. is the PD Creek. The PD Creek. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that, that, that's all good. Like, we'll save that one then. Sorry, brother. Um, no, no. Well, I think you've pretty much told it um, in, in its essence. And sure, mm. is it was it, it is suspected, and, and and there are references um, to the PD Creek massacre being the precursor to this, and that's why they were getting square. That um, they a, a young, just very quickly, a, a, a young white girl had walked away with the mob named uh, Polly Dusty. She put her initials on the trees, PD. That's where PD Creek Station and PD Creek get their name from. And uh, she was never harmed or hurt. But when she was found with, um, with our mob who had moved on and she'd walked off with the kids, uh, they had assumed that she'd been abducted. And, they, and the white community made the claim that she'd been abducted they also, as did she and as does the Aboriginal community, all agree that she was never, ever harmed. Um, she was never molested or, or raped or touched of any sort. But in retribution for that so-called abduction, uh, rather than recognising a child just walked off with other young people, um, she, they, they led this massacre. This is how the Tail Creek Massacre sort of came to be. This was the retaliation for that, the fear of that an Aboriginal group might steal white women. Um, she was a young girl. So that was the precursor which you framed up nicely. 
So then when Hurley Scott finds the bodies of the people that have been hiding in Cow Creek, uh, the ones who couldn't get up into the gorge country, uh, he finds a young baby. And that young baby is um, that young baby is still sucking on his dead mother's breast. She'd broken his fall. She'd obviously tried to protect him. And no one else is alive. So they take this, Herdley Scott grabs this young baby and puts him up on his horse, on his saddle, and, uh, and takes him home and raises him up as his own son. And that man becomes uh, a well-known Aboriginal figure in our community, um, Bubba Jack Scott. And Bubba Jack, uh, who uh, was a senior, uh, senior man of great significance in our community, would be, uh, is often referred to, uh, the, the formal term is Bubang. Bubang is grandfather. Uh, but Bubba Jack, uh, would be raised up with Herdley Scott as his son, essentially, or they, they use the term stepson. But he adopted him in and raised him up. And Bubba Jack would go on the way I came to the story and that part of that reconnection of my family, because my grandmother had kept so much of this stuff quiet, uh, was Bubba Jack and my family, um, my grandmother and her father, who... Um, they would all live together and he would name his daughter uh, Nan Chick after my grandmother and then I would subsequently in a, in a bit of a, an argument at school with a young boy, another Aboriginal boy, we were going to have a bit of an altercation. Uh, his grandmother stepped in and said, you can't fight that boy. Uh, his grandmother, is, uh, I'm named after his grandmother. Uh, that's my namesake. And her grandfather um, and her family, that, that they were Aboriginal people that had married um, into this sort of Irish convict family, uh, you know. And so that's how it all sort of came to be. And so I went to my grandmother and I was like, what is, you know, tell, what, what's going on? Like, tell me this story. And, and she knew way more than she'd let on. And she was a woman in her late 80s telling me about, she remembered when Nan Chick was born and she remembered Bubba Jack and and that her father and Bubba Jack were living together and um, and whereabouts and the locations. And then for the sole survivor of the Tail Creek Massacre was in fact living with my great-grandfather unbeknownst to myself. <laughs> um, and so that's how all this missing, you know, hidden history comes to be. Mm. And that started... <clears throat> me spending more time with elders and, and asking them about these details and then telling me uh, subsequently all the details of it. And, and then, of course, looking into history, um, the very you know thinly recorded history, like most of these frontier wars, there's, there's stuff there, but you know it's not in the mainstream. And um, really hearing our side of the story and, and the trauma and the, and the, you know, we're talking like quite a lot of people were shot and that women were killed, women that were holding babies. Could you tell yeah. us the process of putting something like that uh, into, into, a, into a song, a music video, um, you know, lyrics, the whole process, you know? How do you sort of find the energy, I guess, um, you know? Is, is it, was it an easy process for you? Well, one, is it an easy process for you just to write a song but then on the other hand, write a song such uh, as Summer, dealing with such uh, a heavy part uh, of history. Um, it, and, you know, like uh, to you, to your family, to, to mob in your community. Well, it's, it's ne actually writing a song for me is never an easy process. Um, but something usually gets stuck in my head. Um, Sometimes people call them like, uh, what is it, brain worms or something, you know, headworms. They get, they get stuck in your head and you can't sort of get it out. There's a, some term to, to that effect um, amongst musicians and it's, you know, this thing that gets stuck in your head and you just can't shake it. So um, when I tend to write a song, uh, it, it can be a bit like um, how some students might draft an essay. You start with some sort of, less refined ideas and 
and you you brush away the the, the less useful parts and and slowly it, it sort of solidifies and, and comes to the surface. Um, with this case, uh, I when the inf- when the story was told to me by my grandmother, and then I went and spent time with the mob up at the mission and talked to some of the elders a little bit more there, and then I was handed down some information um, from some senior men um, that some historical information that gave me the hard facts about it. I I was like, you know, I really didn't want this story to be lost to time, and I didn't want it to be just in the Aboriginal community or amongst, you know, people that are interested in history, but I wanted to bring it to the mainstream because I thought it, it told a few things. It told, um, one, uh, it, it told of the, bar- the barbaric, horrific nature of what occurred. Um, but it also showed a kindness. You know, Herdley Scott um, was a was a white man, and not everyone was, you know, a monster. Um, and the kindness of him to take this raise this boy up. He was only twenty two years old when he picked up Bubba Jack. You know, as a little boy, um, and it would have been a pretty big deal at the time to have an Aboriginal kid in in your house in the middle of the frontier wars and to be raising him up as your son. And, um, and I just thought it just, it just showed there was, you know, there, pardon the pun, but there isn't, these stories aren't black and white. They've got so many nuanced sort of moments in them and different characters in them and, and the resilience of, um, and the Sangari nation. And so I started to, I thought, I went back and listened to Johnny Cash's album called, uh, Bitter Tears, uh, which is about the resistance of Native Americans uh, and um, some of those big historical generals in, in American history that led wars on Native Americans and how they resisted and, and people stuck in the middle that were just people regardless of what their background was. And I, I sort of took some cues from him. Uh, and so I just wanted to tell the story uh, pretty straight, uh, pretty much, you know, not too much artistic um, sort of license, but just kind of like keeping it pretty straight until I got to the chorus. And and by the time I got to the chorus, it was around, you know, one of the lines is they shot them, they shot them down, uh, they shot them down like leaves in autumn. And so I go there in the summer and it was sort of like, when I go home, that stuff sits with me. You know, I go and visit those places and it sits with me and it sits on my, on my chest. And, um, and when I see young non-Indigenous Australians with flags around their neck, you know, the butcher's apron, as we've always called it, that uh, they don't know what that flag also represents. It might represent something to them, but it, it represents something very differently for many of us. And, you know, I get this great deal of anxiety leading up to the 26th of January. I get really anxious. I don't know if you feel that, though, but mm. I, start, I start to feel very much like I'm in a colonised country, it, like it's getting rubbed in my face, and and I start to get quite angry and seethe under my breath. And, you know, I try and be a, a bit of a, a person that tries to rally people together from different backgrounds and try to get people to kind of come together and be informed and educated rather than kind of um, inflammatory. I don't think it helps. You know, I try and build relationships. So I was, how am I going to tell this story to a white population and not necessarily, like it's a, it's a protest song in some ways, but it's not in other ways. I'm a storyteller. And so I, I thought, oh my God, you know, I can't handle this sort of, you know, bloody flag around your neck nonsense because it sort of lends itself to the white nationalism we've been seeing since the Howard years increased, um, the patriotism, mm. which is driven on ignorance and a lack of understanding the realities of Australia's history. 
Um, and so, yeah, that's how the, you know, there's a line in it, um, you know, with that flag around your neck. And I wanted people to think about, you know, if you, if you believe in contemporary values of being Australian, of mateship and the fair go, well, this isn't the fair go for us, you know, and it's not been a lucky country for us. And if you're my mate, and I've got lots of non-Indigenous mates who are absolutely shoulder to shoulder with me as allies, um, don't do that stuff. Have a little bit of class and tact. Have a bit of taste. You know, be, be considerate. Think of people, think about it from, you know, other perspectives than just your own. Have some empathy. Um, and so that's why I wrote a song about it. And it scared the shit out of me to write it because I was like, right, well, I'm going to stand up in front of a wide audience. Because a lot of my fan base is predominantly non-Indigenous and predominantly white. Uh, it's made up of lots of different groups touring the world, but it, it would more likely be a predominantly white audience. And punk music's quite, you know, been a predominantly white um, community. Uh, although there's everyone's welcome and there's lots of others there. Mm. Uh, but I, I knew it was going to be a hard story to tell. So I just thought the facts alone spoke. I didn't really need to put my opinion in a whole lot. Um, I just wanted to tell the story. I wanted to honour Bubba Jack. I wanted to honour the Scott family. I wanted to honour everyone at Muller Creek and, and my mob there at Bellbrook and, and I wanted to uh, honour the Thangari Nation. And I thought, if they're not going to put it in the school books, fuck it, I'll put it on the radio. And that's exactly what happened. And it spurred conversations like this. And there are more educated um, Aboriginal people than myself and there are more educated non-Indigenous people on these topics than myself. But I had an opportunity to use my platform and, and, and my um, humble, limited knowledge to, to try and give some voice to, to this space and, and to say, well, you know, I, I've tried to help in, in my way. And it was actually my non-Indigenous band members that were like, brother, you know, you teach this stuff and you're, you're passionate about it and you, you've educated us. You need to write a song about it. And that's, um, that's how it come to be, you know. That's how that's how we got here. That's awesome, brother. Also, um, you know, I think another important thing that I want to uh, chat about as well is um, lots of these places where massacres take place um, yeah. now uh, nowadays are seen as. Uh, Resorts, uh, you know, there, there, there's been infrastructure built upon uh, massacre sites, and, you know, in, in lots of different places. Rottnest Island is one. Um, you know, uh, there's sort of, and as we mentioned, sort of, you know, uh, near waterholes are, are, are common to where massacres took place. And, um, you know, if that was a, you know, sometimes these significant areas are near areas uh nowadays where people holiday you know mm. uh with their children you know or, or if they're retirees you know th- th- like that's another part i want to just sort of chat about as well as knowing the history and the truth of where we go because no matter where you know no matter where anybody goes on this continent it's, it's aboriginal land it's it's first mm. nations land you know um you know we've never ceded it but that's right. You know, uh, lots of the places where these people go to, uh, these things have happened. Um, mm. Maybe it's deliberate that you know uh, these people don't know of the significance of these areas. Mm. But yeah, I'd love to just sort of you know get your thoughts on you know are there any places down on your country uh, that are sort of seen as maybe tourist attractions or, you know, people sort of go through these areas? Um, you know, if the, is the infrastructure sort of built on uh, some of the, the massacre sites uh, where your mob is from? Um, well, I guess... Or, or, the, or, if, or if you had a chat to people, you know, mm. uh, where they've used the road... You know, like like Jin's Leap is is a common um, mm. mountainside that people drive past uh, on Gumroy Country. You know, uh, mm. 
Um, when I think I think it's when you're going towards Maury, it's on your left hand side. I think I could be wrong, um, but you know, like uh, th- there's a small little uh, stop, uh, oh, sorry, sign on the on the side of the road that uh, sort of depicts somewhat of a history of what happened there. But you know, it's not widely known that you know um, this area sort of you know Aboriginal women and, and children sort of ran off this uh, uh, river um, and and hence Gin's Leap, where it's got its name from. Um, you know, the, the, these places are all over this country. Absolutely. Um, you know, the ones that spring to mind immediately around the country, the first one that you said was Rottnest Island, which I find really um, poor taste and disgraceful behaviour that Western Australia's tourism um, pushes the quackers and people to visit there, but yet they don't tell them before they get on the boat what happened there, and they don't tell them really there. Apparently, there's a small sort of display there that they're starting to build now, but it obviously flies in the face of trying to get tourists to go to somewhere. Um, another one would be like Wheeler Mountain, you know, uh, named after, I think... Um, the native police officer, Frederick Wheeler, who was um, responsible for the death of hundreds of Aboriginal people. Mm. Uh, another one would be, I think, uh, the, at Tonga Beach, uh, where Cook came to and um, shot an Aboriginal man with a Wagle shield was dropped. I'm pretty sure that was the same place. I'm, I'm, you know, it could be confusing two stories, but there's like this tiny little monument there. Um there's a few places around Australia that, you know, uh, today they're not the dreamy uh, locations that people think they are. They have really dark histories. Um, and, the, you know, they're beautiful places to look at and they would have been before heaps of people were murdered there, you know. Um, for our mob, from what I'm aware of, I wouldn't be surprised about things that have happened around the, the beach country um, mm. and there, there's probably more educated people than myself to be able to talk to that. Uh, the massacres that I'm more versed in, such as Thundering, Peaky Creek, um, Cow Creek, uh, they're all big pastoral sort of areas that don't get too many tourists through. Mm. However, however, there's a place called Thungari Camp, and Dungari Camp is, is a tourist camping spot um, and it's not very far from these places. And I was on another podcast uh, a while back and a presenter, she said, oh, you know, I, I go there all the time and and I had no idea these things occurred there. Like it's such a picturesque, idyllic location. Um, probably to that point, when, when I look at these massacres in particular uh, around heading um, sort of west of Bellbrook, the fact that there isn't a monument there, the fact that there isn't a headstone or, you know, and I wrote in the song, where's our left we forget? Where's our headstone? Where's, where's something to say this occurred? Because that's part of where the ignorance of contemporary Australia comes from. And it, not just to mention as well through... You know, through chatting to historians throughout, you know, uh, this podcast, they've always said that there was sort of a degree of whether whether you want to say an agreement between Aboriginal people and settlers. You know, uh, there was sort of a time where before things got too much, and then Aboriginal people had to sort of react. You know, uh, I guess there was some. You could say there was somewhat coexistence for a short period of time, not too long, um, before settlers decided to, you know, rape Aboriginal women, steal Aboriginal children, destroy Aboriginal land, and then it became an issue. Before that, you know, I think our mob were very um, inviting and very sort of um, happy to sort of exist um or sort of see other people as well, you know, like, or, or maybe I'm wrong. Um, well, there's examples of, you know, Nunuk or Murray's, um, you know, 
having these sort of informal treaties with people. Um, mm, that's it, yeah. I, isn't there one down in Victoria? Like the, um, oh, no, no. Oh, the new knuckle the one, I think, was around... Uh, Over in Australia. Mm, and, um, and also, I think, like, um, sort of in that southern, you know, um, that, that southern sort of Brisbane, that southern Queensland mm-hmm. space of we'll, we'll hunt for uh, migaloo, we'll hunt for whitefellas, and they can um, grow plants and vegetables and, and, we'll, and we'll trade them. And, and if you grow plants and vegetables for us, we'll, we'll hunt for you. And, oh, and you know, mm. that works for a while. Yeah, I'm sure there was, until, yeah, there was these understandings you know, that our mob sort of had to coexist, like you said, you know, there was uh, until, you know, that, 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 that ran out until, you know, um, there was too much cattle, like you mentioned earlier, on the land that was driving away uh, traditional um, animals that were sort of in these sort of hunting paths that, you know, we would always sort of it that we would exist in to sort of you know hunt hunt for our food and then once that sort of broke down uh then it became an issue because then we were sort of eating their um you know their their their, their crops or their cattle and sheep and you know it became an issue to them once those things uh, started happening i think i think what's really hard to like people have to fathom when you know a gory or a murray would spear a cow or a sheep. If you were a white person and you'd shot a cow or a sheep, they wouldn't have hung you for it. They they wouldn't have put you in the gallows for it. You'd have, you know, you'd probably have gone to jail for, you know, a month or whatever, or you'd be paid a fine, you know, these sorts of things. Our Aboriginal lives, from the European perspective, were... Only good at so the words of um, William Henry Wiltshire, who was a South Australian police officer who had black slaves. There's a really well, um, there's a quite a well known photo of him with his young black slave boy serving him while he's sort of posing in a chair. William Henry Wiltshire, who's got streets in Darwin named after him and Alice Springs, he said that in his books that uh, Aboriginal women were only good for the needs of white pioneering males. Um, Constable uh, George Stanley Murray, who is the head of the the original Northern Territory Police Force, Mm. uh, he he led the Coniston Station massacre in uh, in in 1928. This is between World War One and World War Two, yeah, and we've already gone and yeah, we've already gone and fought in the Boer War and been left back in eighteen eighty nine, left in South Africa. We've gone and fought in the Maori Anglo Land Wars and been left in New Zealand. We've gone and fought in World War One. A thousand Aboriginal men gave their lives for all these non-Indigenous people to have democracy, as well mm. as while we don't have it, while we don't have citizenship, while we don't have anything. And but yet still we go and serve, and then a further two thousand in World War Two, even while in between the massacres are still occurring on other Aboriginal people in the country, and then we've got, uh, you know, in nineteen twenty six, uh, massacres in Western Australia occurring, and you can see, um, that that British military pincher move occurring on river, on on riverside pushing people against the river and then coming from both sides of the river as people try to swim away and shooting people and killing them to usurp them of their land. And one of the things I, I, people sort of, when we talk about non-Indigenous folks not knowing our history, the reality is they actually don't know much Australian history, period. Um, You know, if you look at uh, Governor James Sterling, We've probably all heard the name Governor James Sterling at some point. Mm. Uh, he was responsible. He, he was uh, a politician, one of the very first politicians in Perth and uh, representing Western Australia. He was the governor. Um, he and his brother were, le- were responsible 
for the Pinjara massacre on the Binjara Noongar people in Noongar Budja, in Noongar country. And he, my, my nephew, who's Galfadun and, and Dungari, he goes to Governor James Sterling High School to this day. And he's the school captain. He's Aboriginal boy's school mm-hmm. captain. I said, well, you, you want to tell him in your acceptance speech what that school's named after. Make sure you tell him. And, like, why is my nephew going to a school named after a mass murderer? Why, why are these statues up? Why are we tolerating this? And it's not us tolerating this. Like, we have to tolerate it. But why is the white population okay with 19 monuments of Angus Macmillan? So Angus Macmillan, a man who, in Gunai country or East Gippsland, who was an elected member to the Council of Port Phillip, so the original province of Victoria, he was an elected member, the same as Edward Henty was an elected member, the same as Benjamin Boyd the Slaver mm. was an elected member. Why Why today did Wellington Shire Council, during the Black Lives Matter, I'm calling you out, Wellington Shire Council, why on January, uh, on, sorry, of June 17th last year, during Black Lives Matter, when they when there was a council motion to remove two of the monuments to Angus Macmillan, and they, they, they decided not to. They decided not to. I walk down the street where I live here, and I walk past the street Henty. You know, like, if, if, you, if white fellas want to keep saying it's in the past, then stop putting murderers up on your bloody statues, stop <laughs> naming your streets after murderers so I don't have to walk down them in the present. And, and if there were other, I don't want to whitewash history, but there were good non-Indigenous people such as Anne Fraser Bond, who was an ally to Mbarak, uh, the last known giver of the, of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people. And she, you know, where's her statue? Where's, where's, where's a statue for Barak? Where's a statue for Windorain or Pomeroy or, or or Mosquito, or Garibaldi, or Dundali, or or, or Truganini, you know? Like, where, if we want people to be informed, the reason we put people on statues is so we've got someone to aspire to be like. We have one down here for um, Pastor Doug, Sir Doug Nicholson. And, mm. you know, it was a big deal because it's like one of the very first Aboriginal statues um, right out in the open, and you know it's it's where's one for Neville Bonner? Where's one for the people that paved the way? Uh, where's one for Charlie Uncle Charlie Person? Where's one for the people that saw injustice? This it's not just a it's a this is about injustice. And where is? Where's one for the Aussie underdog? If you if you think of Australia as continental Australia, as Aussie or whatever you want to call it today, I'm, I don't play that semantic game. But where are the people that were doing the right thing? Maybe they were few and far between, but maybe they should be up on statues rather than the perpetrators of massacres, the perpetrators of rape that have it written down because they never thought the society, they never thought the contemporary white society would look back on them as villains. They always assumed that it would be acceptable to treat black people this way. And in the, and in the future, it, it wouldn't come back to destroy mm. their reputation. Oh, definitely. Um, and they, they do everything even today to still sort of mask that or sort of celebrate that or you know, do everything that they can to sort of deny any changing of that history. Um, and like you said, it's not in the past, it's sort of in our future because we walk down these streets, we drive past these, drive over these bridges, we see these monuments on our way to work or whatever, you know, in our daily sort of uh, routines. Brother, 
um, we've been yarning. Uh, it, it's been an amazing uh, time having a chat with you. Um, one thing I did want to do before we wrapped up was just have a, mm. you know, let out let let the listeners know where they can get your music from. Um, they can whether they can buy it. You know, when's the the EP coming out? Um, I know there's been another uh, track off of Homeland that has dropped a couple of weeks ago called Busted Lung, which is an amazing song. Um, yeah, brother, where can we find your music? Yeah, uh, everyone listening, jump on Spotify and uh, write in Chasing Ghosts, and uh, and you'll find us. You'll you'll find the track Summer there and and Busted Lung from the the two new singles that are out. Uh, Homeland comes out. Uh, you can also go on Apple Music as well. Uh, all, all of those typical places that Streaming you go online to find yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and you can jump on Instagram and follow along. And, um, you know, and I encourage any mob uh, from all over Australia, come out to a show, come have a yarn. And, you know, that's probably my favourite part of seeing more and more mob at shows and, and yarning up and, and looking after each other. And, uh, and uh, Homeland comes out just around Reconciliation Week, so um, if it won't be long. It won't be long. We'll be looking at early June. That'll be coming out, and um, we'll have some more good news for everyone between now and then. Mm. Just really quickly as well, before I actually before we actually started chatting on Instagram, um, mm. your song was very familiar, and I didn't know where mm. from, and then I realised um, our radio has been playing it for quite a while. Um, and then, so then after I chatted with you and then went back to my boss, uh, to my station, I was like, yeah, we've been playing this for a while now. I was like, oh damn. Okay. Awesome. Um, <laughs> and then for our listeners, uh, for the listeners, well, I got, uh, Kyle, uh, Jimmy, uh, to come on, uh, let's talk as well. And we had pretty much the same conversation as well. Um, and it was an amazing sort of chat, uh, on that as well. So you can, um, as well as sort of listening to our conversation here on Frontier War Stories, you can head over to Let's Talk and, and have a listen to that yarn as well. But brother, you know, thank you very much for coming on and having this chat. It's a, it's a very important chat that we're having because it's a, in a very, it's a very important issue that, um, you know, single-handedly at least affects nearly every Aboriginal person on this continent today. Um, and just for the listeners as well, really quickly, if you've enjoyed this podcast and this series, you can support it uh, by becoming a patron. Uh, you can subscribe and, and, and donate a, a, as little as $5 or as more as 20 or whatever uh, to the podcast. Uh, you just head to Frontier War Stories. Um, you hit that in Google. Uh, and then you head to Podbean. Uh, so Frontier War Stories, uh, Podbean. And then in the top right corner, if you click uh, Become a Patron, that's how you can uh, do that. You can also follow me on uh, Instagram, just at Bonos89. Uh, uh, I upload a lot of uh, Frontier War Stories content on there as well. Uh, and also I have a, my PayPal connected to that as well if anybody wants to donate via that way as well uh, this is episode uh, 17 of Frontier War Stories uh, with the front man from punk rock band Chasing Ghosts brother Jimmy Kyle a Thangari man thank you for coming on brother thank you very much Balu everyone